Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome. We're so glad to have you with us here this evening on Ask Herbal Health Expert Susan Weed, a two-hour radio show each Tuesday night. Herbal medicine is people's medicine, simple, safe, effective. Please bring your curiosity and health questions. Susan will enlighten, surprise, and delight you. I know most of you know Susan Weed already. She's my mom, so I know her. But for those of you who have not yet met Susan, I'd like to share, she is the author of the Wise Woman Herbal series, wonderful books on women's health and herbal medicine, including Wise Woman Herbal for the Childbearing Year, Breast Cancer Breast Health! Exclamation Point, The Wise Woman Way, Healing Wise, The Wise Woman Herbal, New Menopausal Years, The Wise Woman Way, down there, sexual and reproductive health, the wise woman way. And abundantly well, seven medicines, the wise woman way. The newest book in the wise woman herbal series. So exciting. In addition to being the editor at Ashtree Publishing and writing her books, Susan is the director of the Wise Woman Center in Woodstock, New York. The Wise Woman Center is open to the public on appointment-only basis. She offers weekend workshops, intensives, and apprenticeships throughout the season. Susan is also available to you online via wisewomanmentor.com. There you can go and view her weekly e-zine. You can subscribe to receive a notification via email each week, or you could join her mentorship program. Susan also offers distance learning correspondence courses and online courses at thewisewomanschool.com. Join us there for colorful, instructive, easy video courses, including Easy Herbal Medicine with Susan Weed, Happy Needs, a cancer diagnosis, adaptogens for long life, and abundantly well companion course, wisewomanschool.com. You can also just go to her website, susanweed.com, where you will find thousands of pages online with recipes, articles, art features, and so much more. Well, for now, let's See what Susan has to share with us this evening. Thank you and welcome, Susan. Thank you, Justine, and welcome, Sarah Ellen. Hello, Susan. How are you? Hey, what's going hey. on at your homestead these days? Uh, well, um, I have been enjoying the start of fall. Um, I've also been trying to get my voice back. 
Um, yes, I, was, I, I got well, your little your little horse. Ha ha. That sounds dead, Jim. Yeah, just a little foggy. <laughs> uh, yes, after, let's see, it was like I went to bed pretty much last Tuesday night and woke up Wednesday with probably the touch of some kind of flu. Um, and it lasted a couple days, except for after it was gone, it took my voice away with it. So um <laughs> feeling good, but um, sounding weird. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I won't ask yeah. you to talk. I want to ask you to talk too much. We'll let your voice rest. It's interesting. I, in early on, when I was going out and doing a lot of speaking, um, I would have that happen to me over and over and over again. I would get laryngitis. I would totally lose my voice. My throat would be so sore. And I really, um, for me, I did a lot of work to connect my heart and my throat. Mm. And that helped me, I guess, feel better about speaking because that's, that's so what, you know, because that's what was being disturbed was my power of speaking. So I looked to, you know, what was going on there. Mm. I was thinking, I was thinking about the woman who called last week and asked about taking hormones. She's menopausal. I don't remember um, if she had a particular thing that was bothering her. But for some reason, um, we talked about other things, but I don't think we actually talked about hormones. So I wanted to say a few words about hormones. And of course, in new menopausal years, I do say quite a few words about hormones. But let's start here. Hormones, estrogen, and she said hormone replacement therapy, which is a very interesting term, which means you're missing something and we're going to replace it. So hormone replacement therapy supplanted estrogen replacement therapy because it was found that women who took estrogen unopposed by progesterone were at a greater risk of cancer. So they added progesterone to it. But then in 2002, I think there was um, the results of a really big study that showed, um, as I had intimated in menopausal years, that women who took hormone replacement therapy were dying of strokes and heart attacks. And, And so... I revised my book and made it new menopausal years so that instead of uh, uh, intimating that, I could actually say it. This is what's actually happening. And, of course, 20 years have passed since then. And there's been other studies and other looks at hormone replacement therapy. And the newer idea is that hormone replacement therapy is useful for women who are having very bad symptoms that interfere with their life if taken short term. And not only is it okay, but it can actually be beneficial. When they looked at the earlier study, what they found was that the hormone replacement therapy had been given to women across a variety of ages 
and across a variety of mm, relationships to their last menses. And that that turned out to be really important. There's that threshold around 10 years. So if it's been 10 years since your last period, then hormone replacement therapy, even if it helps you to relieve symptoms, is not going to be healthy for you. That's the group that got the stroke and the heart attacks with the women who were 10 or more years past their last period when they were taking hormone replacement. And again, I remember that the woman who called that it had been quite some time since her last period, but I don't remember the exact number of years that had been. I know it was years since her last period. So that's interesting and pretty clear. If you're really bothered by menopausal symptoms and you're in the midst of menopause and it's been, you've had amenities within the past few years, then taking hormone replacement um, could very well um, help you in the short and the long run. If it's been more than 10 years since your last period, then stay away. And of course, there's going to be a kind of gray area there, isn't there? You know, in between the right now and the 10-year thing. Okay, enough about that. Let me talk just a little bit about bioidentical hormones. This is a very bad idea that keeps rearing its head. The idea is that you go to a compounding pharmacist, and the compounding pharmacist compounds a special blend of hormones just for you. And we might ask, based on what? Based on usually a test, often a saliva test. And what this test fails to take into account is that your hormones are constantly fluctuating. And if you take a test in the morning, it might be a very different hormone profile if you took it in the afternoon. Or if you took it in the summer, it might be different than the hormone profile that you would get if you took it in the winter. So right away, we have to be a little skeptical about it being more accurate because you've been somehow tested. I don't think that's true. And a expose by a women's activist group went to a variety of compounding pharmacists to get bioidentical hormones. And the same woman at different pharmacies got wildly different results on their tests. And therefore their prescription, their compound for hormones was quite different. And perhaps worse yet, when they were given their prescriptions, they then took them to the laboratory and the laboratory tested them to see if they actually contained the quantity and specific hormone that was stated on the label. And in the vast majority of cases, there was more 
than what was stated on the label or less than what was stated on the label. And in some instances, there were other hormones or not the hormones that were listed there. At least when you're taking a drug, a prescribed hormone replacement therapy, you absolutely know that the correct hormones are in there and you know at exactly what dosage you're taking. And there are different dosages and more modern thinking about women who could benefit from using hormone replacement is to use the lowest dose that relieves your symptoms. Are compounding pharmacists doing that with bioidentical hormones? No, not at all. Often the dosages that they start with are quite high. In fact, and in some of them where the dosage was already high and then there was more of that hormone in the actual pill than was on the label, it could be very dangerous. So let's just say no to bioidentical hormones. Now, that said, I believe that menopause doesn't mean that anything's gone that we need and that it certainly doesn't need to be replaced. I know that all fetuses start out as girls, but if you don't have double X, in every cell, then you can't make use of the estrogen in the uterine environment and your genitals become male genitals. So if you do have double X in your cells, by halfway through the pregnancy, by the time the fetus is 20 weeks old, the ovaries are developed and they start producing estrogen. Check it out. The ovaries are producing estrogen 20 weeks before we're even born, and they keep on doing that every single day of our life until the day we die. There's never a day when our ovaries aren't making estrogen. And, oh, did I mention our ovaries are actually making 29 different kinds of estrogen? (sighs) Amazing. Now, human women make 30 kinds of estrogen. And the 30th one I often liken to, mm, you know, that difficult person because the 30th estrogen is estradiol or estradiol. Same stuff, just depending on where you put the accent. And it starts being produced at puberty and it stops being produced at menopause and it's produced only one day a month during your menstruating years. Wow. Does that mean when we're given hormone replacement therapy that we're given estradiol one day a month? No. We're given it every day. So it's not really a replacement of what's going on. And this is, of course, part of the reason why it confers risks. Because the major reason that we can tell for menopause is that estradiol is very, very difficult for the body to deal with. And that cancer likes to eat it. It doesn't like the other 29 estrogens. So my goal as a woman going through menopause and my goal as a postmenopausal woman was to make sure that I was 
eating and moving in ways that maximized my ability to make those 29 other estrogens and seems to be I'm pretty successful. I'll also say that when I teach classes on menopause, especially big ones, I love to do this in big ones, I ask any woman who's postmenopausal in the class if she's willing to to stand up. And then I ask any of them who are at that point taking hormones, whether prescribed hormones or bioidentical hormones, to please sit down. There's always a few. And then to the remaining group I say, any of you who feel like you're missing something, please sit down. And I don't think out of all the hundreds, perhaps thousands of women that I pose this question to, more than one has sat down. I certainly wouldn't sit down. So that's my spiel on hormones. And the moral of the story is make them yourself. That's what bioidentical really is. Oh, I love that. Especially since I'm in the midst of menopause. And, yeah, I, I so agree. You agree. Okay, good. I very much agree. Yeah. Yep. Well, let's see. We have a guest tonight, and that guest is Chris Omni, an echo spiritualist, black women's health researcher, documentary filmmaker, international presenter, community mobilizer. Wow, 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 wow. Granny's Garden, how to grow black joy. Come on, stay with us until 9 o'clock and you get to hear Chris Omni. Or come on back at 9 o'clock, that's East Coast time, to hear Chris Omni about growing your garden of black joy. Do we have any questions tonight? All right. So far, we do have one hand that has pressed one to signal that they have a question. I'll remind everyone, if you've got a question this evening, you do need to press one so that we can see your hand in the queue. Um, and I am really rooting for you on the Skype call uh, or the international number. I see your hand, and your line is open on the international Skype call. You are live with Susan. Hello? Hello. We Hi. Hello? Hello. Go ahead and speak. Okay. Because um, they said international, and I'm not international. I'm in California. That's okay. But you're a Skype call? Oh, no. <laughs> I'm on the phone. <laughs> but I, I want to That's go okay. Ahead. Go ahead. You're on the line. That's okay. fine. All right. All right. Um, I have been diagnosed with left ventricular hypertrophy. And I wanted to um, find out what I can uh, take to um, uh, stop the progression of that um, and hopefully reverse it. Um, I would also like to know uh, if you have a course, if you're offering a course that, you know, specifically uh, addresses um, the heart and, you know, in particular the uh, the um, condition that I've been 
uh, diagnosed with. The herb that would be your best ally is hawthorn. Have you heard of it? Yes, and I've actually been taking it for a number of years. I just um, Good. Tell me about I don't, how I don't think I was taking it. Yeah, I think I was taking Pardon me, I was taking one drop of four a day because I didn't think I, I thought I was doing it to, like, as maintenance. But uh-huh. a lot of things, a, a lot has happened over the last uh, uh, five years or so. Uh, my husband actually passed away last in, uh, less than two years ago. And, you know, I had a lot of other things that, that, kind of raised my blood pressure, and I've been dealing with a lot of stress. So I was taking like one dropper full of that. I was taking one dropper full of mother's wart. I was taking, um, um, I started taking the, what's that, the the Cassandra Berry, because I heard you, you know, I was, you were mm-hmm. on um, the internet. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I'm thinking, and I was taking St. John's Wort, too, for the stress. So mm-hmm. I knew I was under a lot of stress. I just didn't know until I had a panic attack about three weeks ago that, hey, this is not, you, this is not working. It's not protecting my heart. Um, then they, get, they did the EKG and said that, yes, there is some, some damage to my um, heart. So I started taking, I started taking my blood pressure just, you know, around the clock, uh, including when I woke up in the middle of the night. Now, I was thinking, you know, I was checking my blood pressure during the day and everything, and um, but at night when I took it before I could even get up, you know, it would be in the middle of the night, it would be emergency room level. And so wow. I'm like, I don't, know, I don't know how long that's been going on, and I'm sure that's what damaged my heart. So um, I'm trying to bring that down because, you know, no, I have not been sleeping through the um, night, you know, since my um, husband passed. Um, and um, so I have, um, yeah, I'm just trying to see what kind of, and of course they want to put me on the same drugs that they put him on and you know he it it did not save him um i can go in his you know room right now and there's 30 40 bottles of 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 medication there um so um so that's not helping with my stress level either so um i wanted to uh get some advice and then actually take a course or something so that I can really learn how to take care of myself. Good for you. Excellent. I'm so happy to hear that. It's really devastating when we lose someone close to us. It's a yes. I was a, yeah. I was married for 42 it's, years. It's a and it's, at foundation yeah. level, it's like an earthquake. So it's not surprising that you have reacted to that. 
I always think when things like that happen, well, thank goodness I've been taking the herbs. How much worse would it have been if I hadn't been taking the herbs? Did they explain to you what hypertrophy is? No, because I kind of zoned out when they told me I had heart disease. I just kind of, I didn't even ask what stage it was in. I just, you know, and they start talking about these medicines, and I'm like, I've seen this before. This has been going on for years. Um, I've known my husband ever since we were teenagers. We went to high school together, and he was taking medications for decades, and his condition just got worse and worse. So it's like, um, you know, I just kind of like, uh, well, and I still haven't went and picked that medicine up. I just, it's not going to save me. And I already know that. So let's, let's look at what this means. So hyper, what does hyper mean? Um, I would say that it's like overworked or, you know, Working hard, yes, hyper. Yeah, yeah. Right. So trophy is muscle. So what it means is your heart muscle is working hard. Mm-hmm. And it's, when it works harder, what happens to a muscle? It stiffens. No, it gets bigger. Yeah, they told right? me that. Oh, God, yes. Mm-hmm. Right? If you yes. go to the gym and you, like, yes. pump iron, your muscles get bigger. Bigger. Yes, it does. Okay. So your heart muscle has been pumping harder, and it has gotten bigger. And that's a problem. And that's a problem because inside your heart, there are chambers for the blood. And when the heart gets bigger, it takes up more space and there's less space in the chambers for the blood. So you actually don't get quite as much blood with each pump. And actually, I think the the horse here is not what you think it is. I think that because your heart's been working harder and gotten stronger and is not being able to push as much blood, that your body has raised your blood pressure to keep the blood moving. So let me ask you about your activities and your activity level. One of the things that happens to most of us when we're grieving is we don't move around very much. I learned that it was healthier for me to walk off my grief, for some people to run off their grief, to really move and move every single day, not just I go to the gym on Tuesdays and Fridays. Mm-hmm. Yes, because I, um, well, uh, because of COVID, um, that I haven't done anything like that. Um, 
when he was sick, of course, I wasn't out, you know, so that I can bring something back and expose him to it. So um, that, and then, of course, you know, after he passed, I was just, you know, I've I've been in the house ever since, basically. Um, so, no, my activity. You know what I'm doing while we're talking? Is, I'm walking. You're I'm walking. in my house, and I'm walking. Okay. The bare minimum that I do on a daily basis is two miles. And I've only done a mile and a half so far today because of a variety of things that have gone on today. So while I am talking to people this evening, I am walking. And it's okay that it's kind of boring because it's you aren't boring. I'm very engaged with talking to people. But I'm walking, aren't I? Mm-hmm. And I'm not exposing myself to COVID. And it doesn't matter what the weather is. I will also, when the weather is bad and I don't want to, you know, go out, walk around reading. I like to read. Mm-hmm. I have a stack of periodicals. I read um, science fiction and um, women detectives. And rather than sitting down and reading, I walk in my house, around in circles, while I'm reading. I used to read to my granddaughter, and probably will again, when they get back to Costa Rica for the winter time. And in general, when I'm reading to her, I carry the book and the screen in my two hands and walk around. What can you do to move? Even if... Like my friend who had something happen to her that caused her to be extremely short of breath. It was very difficult for her to move at all. And so what she did was every hour she got up and she walked for 500 steps. Over the course of a day, she'd walked two and a half miles. The emotional and physical benefits start right about at the two-mile mark. Okay. Get a pedometer that you like. I love Fitbit, but there's all kinds out there. So that you know, so that you can say, okay, I just did the five, that 500 steps for this hour, or I'm going out for a walk. I'm going to, you know, get, get those steps, Right. It's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing to do with friends. Yes, yes, I have gotten. I did well because of the isolation. It got to be too much, and um, I, um, I, I have started. You know, um, getting out a little more. But you know, of course, it was. Um, it was hard because, you know, even though you get up and you get out, wherever you go, you still feel alone. You still feel like you're by yourself. That's why so, that, um, it's good to walk with friends. Yeah, yeah. Get it, you know, start asking your friends. You want to walk on Tuesday, you want to walk on Wednesday, right? I have the friend I walk with on Wednesday, the friend that I walk with on this day, right? It, I personally 
like to be alone, but I really hear you. It's a good thing to have a companion for. And I know that several of the women that I walk with say to me that they probably wouldn't go walking except that we have a set date. Mm-hmm. And that, that really helps them um, keep to it. I was listening to Ari Witten talk about kinetic flow. And the, to him, movement is kinetic flow. He had some very interesting studies that had been done. They took a group of people of various ages and had them engage in an exercise routine while standing on a platform that vibrated. They had a matched group of people do the same set of exercises while standing on the same platform, but it didn't vibrate. Hmm. The people who were on the vibrating platform slept better, had less pain, had improvements in their mood, lost weight more easily, and these results from doing this one study continued on for six months after the study was over. Kinetic flow, he says, your body and your brain are geared to movement. I'm not going to tell you that you can necessarily make your heart smaller or overcome the hypertrophy. And the doctors aren't telling you that either, are they? No. So since what's happening isn't something that anybody knows how to change, I think the next best thing, which you have already said, is to really fine-tune your lifestyle. And, of course, wonderful Dean Ornish started his recommendations with meditation. Mm-hmm. Do you meditate at this point? Do you have any interest in that? Um, no, I, 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 um, I go to church. I read the Bible. That's so. Um, that's the type of meditation that I would that I do. Mhm. Um, mhm. Mhm. Yeah. What we're looking for in meditation is something called the relaxation response. The relaxation response is a whole body response that switches from the fight or flight nervous system to the heal and repair nervous system. So it's hard for me to tell by what you're saying if your kind of meditation does that. It certainly can. They're Christian mystics, but having been exposed to a great many different brands of Christianity, as a child, I would say that most of those did not encourage contemplative practices. Mm -hmm. They acknowledged them, but they didn't make much 
to them. So that's what you're looking for as a Christian, is a contemplative practice. And that could be a practice on an image. If the sacred heart of Jesus is particularly moving for you, or the praying hands, or the image of the Virgin Mary, whatever it is that would bring about that relaxation response in you when you contemplated it. And you you can close your eyes and contemplate it, or you can actually have that image in front of you and look at it and contemplate it. And the kind of trick, if you want to call it a trick here, is that you don't have to do anything at all. It isn't a prayer. It's not a supplication. It's not. We're not like honoring anything. Uh, we're being with. We're literally contemplating. Con with. Mm-hmm. And tempest time with time. So we take our time. We set aside some time. We contemplate that image, and we can feel. When the relaxation response happens, the blood pressure drops, the brain is flooded with really healthy chemicals, the body's repair systems and the immune system um, start smiling. For most people, sitting in quiet contemplation for even as little as five minutes a day will bring steady change. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to go to a meditation retreat or get a meditation cushion or do anything special. The whole idea is to focus yourself in a quiet way that allows your own innate ah you know everything's okay because there is even when things are awful there is a part of us that knows it's going to be okay it is okay or as my mentor Elizabeth Cooper Ross used to say, and she threatened to make a t-shirt that said it, I'm not okay, and you're not okay, and that's okay. Yes. So a meditation, a contemplation, whatever you want to call it, Mm -hmm. give yourself access to that. And once your body knows it's there, it will draw you to it so that it can repeat that experience of really being, you know, relaxed. And I hesitate Mm -hmm. to use that word because it carries so much with it. Not relaxed like you're going to fall asleep or not relaxed like you're drooling. But resting and repairing, I think, comes closest to it. Mm -hmm. And continue to use the herbs and I'm really interested to hear what Chris Omni has to say 
about Black Joy Gardens because I believe that those grandmas were the ones who cooked their greens all day long. And in addition to drinking nourishing herbal infusions, which I hope you're doing, and if not, we can talk about that, I always include in my diet and like to see in anyone's diet a serving of well-cooked leafy greens. I had mustard greens tonight. They were cooked for about an hour and ten minutes. Mhm. Okay. Um, cause I I do um eat leafy greens, you know, um, and I do drink nettle. Any I drink nettle, but I I just started back drinking nettle. I used to drink nettle, you know, every day for a couple of years when I had a surgery ten years ago. Um, and, uh, but I just started back drinking nettle every day and then, um, hibiscus cause it's supposed to be good for the heart. And, um, I've just started, uh, drinking the, um, oak straw, but I eat oatmeal every day. Um, you know, just things that I think are good for the heart, trying to improve my, my diet, um, with things that are good for the heart, now that I know that I actually do well, have let's, heart. Let's think about this for a minute. What do we mean good for the heart? It, most of the time, what, mean, what good for the heart means is makes it stronger. Mm-hmm. But your problem is your heart's too strong. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, Now, I think you're on the right track with hibiscus. I think you're on the right track with oat straw. Oatmeal, okay, if you're fine with it. I don't think it's a problem at all. Um, But, you know, just be cautious on, like, improving your heart because your heart's already, like, hyper, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So hyper means it's already too much. So you do eat greens and you do drink nettle, and when you eat the greens, about how long do you cook them? Oh, maybe about um, 20 or 30 minutes because it's normally spinach or something that will wilt really fast. Um, mm-hmm. So, uh, And while it does wilt really fast, the minerals are still locked up in the cells. I see. Right. And dandelion leaves because and they wilt fast, so I just they wilt fast, that, you know, but they still need to be cooked for an hour. Okay, that allows the minerals to be mobilized and to actually get into the blood. And because of the long cooking, I always cook enough for leftovers, and often enough for leftovers and enough to freeze. Mm. Because I'll get even more minerals if I cook enough to freeze and then eat them after they've been frozen. Because that freezing then helps further mobilize the minerals. Okay. Now, um, since uh, my heart is too strong, would there would there be any connection between me eating meat and 
maybe I shouldn't eat as much meat? The protein doesn't that I think, feel? I think not the protein, but I think that you're on the right track about eating a little less meat. I think that is a very good idea. Okay. And one of the good things about eating less meat is that hopefully that will be replaced with fish, which is so useful without making the heart stronger because of the oils in the fish, right? Mm-hmm. So what, part of what we're looking at is that the fat in the meat is more difficult to utilize than the fat in the fish. I see. Okay. So we have a healthier but not stronger necessarily heart by eating more fish and less meat. Excellent choice. I have a course at wisewomanschool.com called... um, have a healthy heart, I think, is it's, is what it's called. And yeah, it, I... it's in three parts. Um, the first part looks at herbs that are helpful if you have high blood pressure and ways of uh, improving your diet. The second part looks at something that you aren't talking about and your doctors aren't talking about, but is probably a drug they wanted to put you on, which is elevated cholesterol. Yes, they wanted to give me Lipitor. Exactly, which is an anti-cholesterol medication. So the second part is herbs and dietary and lifestyle things that you can do to keep your cholesterol in a good range as well as to deal with inflammation. And the herbs that are most beneficial to cut down on inflammation, which is critical to anyone with hypertrophy, are linden and comfrey. So that rounds, you know, that can round out your infusions. And when you're drinking the nettle, could you tell me how you do it? I, um, I, um... I I I uh, <laughs> I measure out I measure out an ounce. I put it in a quart jar. I put pour uh, boiling hot water over it, and put a, a top on it and let it sit overnight. And then I drink it the next day. You get a plus. Good work. So all we need to do is add more herbs to your rotation. Linden, to my mind, is maybe a hundred times more anti-inflammatory than turmeric and has specific polyphenols that reduce inflammation in the cardiovascular system. Okay. So what are they worried about? What does... What could be one of the bad results of hypertrophy? They did not. I Once they told me that I had you any that, type you just of... stopped listening. So one of the things you could do is start to become your own expert. Mm-hmm. It's easier to know what to do if you know what you need to do. 
Yes, are they are they worried that you won't have a stroke? Are they worried that there will be a blood clot? Are they worried that you will go into atrial fibrillation and that no, your heart won't be able to beat? Um, what you know? What what are they really concerned about? And they weren't concerned so, so that you can so that you can be concerned about those things in a more productive mm-hmm. way, right? Mm-hmm. Rather than um, that, the hypertrophy itself, as we've already established, isn't something that either they or you can do anything about. So there must be other things that they're concerned about. Well, they didn't. Like I said, I made the appointment after I had a panic attack. I was. I was, uh, it was 3 o'clock in the morning. I was thinking about everything that wasn't good. And then my heart started, you know, beating really fast. I was weak. I was actually too weak to get up and go into the hospital, get dressed. So I was waiting to get dressed to go to the hospital. I got up. I took the herbs that I have in the house. And then I had to go to the bathroom. I went to the bathroom, and then it stopped. And um, and then I just, the next day, I just called the doctor, made doctor's appointment, and went in. And then they did the blood, you know, test, and they did the um, the the EKG, and um, and that was it. So there wasn't like they were saying, oh well, I'm worried. They said, no, you did not have a heart attack. You know, we don't have no signs of that, but they Good. did tell me this. And Good. then they they did have a, um, you know, they did do the blood work. So I did have high, you know, um, cholesterol because I do eat a lot of meat. And um, I, uh, but the but the the ratio is like 4.4 or something. And if it's under 5, it's supposed to be okay. But it was still, the bad cholesterol was still high by itself. If you're looking at the bad cholesterol by itself, it was still high. Um, so I did, you know, try to, you know, do more fish and cut down on the meat, although I do buy organic meat. You know, I do try to eat healthy, you know. Um, everything is organic. Every, You know, the milk is organic. The butter is organic. Everything, you know, the water, I I buy spring water. So, um, you haven't heard that I don't believe that people should drink water? Pardon me? Stop drinking water. Stop drinking. Oh, no, I do not drink a lot of water, no. But I was worried about that. Um, But I did catch a show last, last week when you talked about water, and I'm like, oh, good, I can let myself off the hook. For that, you know, um, yes. because there were oh, eight ounces. Right, you know, right. eight, 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 How many like, other questions we have? Part, part um, when, we, when I started talking to her, she was the only one, but let me check in now how many more there are. Uh, there are four hands raised at this time. There are four uh, hands raised. So I'm going to let you talk on or ask another question just for another two minutes or so, and then we'll get to the other four people because I've been talking with you for a really long time. Yes, yes, and I really I really appreciate that. And I think you've already covered what I need to know for now, which is 
um, the Linden and the Comfrey, which I have to order because I can't find it in my local health food store, and uh, the series that um, that I was looking at, you know, uh, for the, the heart. I, I have seen this, but I didn't know if I should do this or the apprenticeship because I did want to take some a course or something where I can ask questions because I was thinking that, you know, I am doing all of this stuff, but I still develop Everybody who does the online or video courses is welcome to join the Zoom meetings that we have every other week. Okay. So so if I do this three, this heart one, which is the one I want, the three-part heart one. You have, then you get access to those Zoom meetings where you can ask okay. questions. Okay. Well, that's, thank you very much for your time. You're welcome. And I do want to give someone else a chance. Thank you. So, good evening. Thank you. Bye bye. All right, and we'll go to the next hand that is dialed in from the nine zero eight area code. Oh. So the nine zero eight, you're live. This is Susan. It's Carol Raftis, New Jersey. Hey, Carol, what's up tonight? How are you? What? I'm well, thank you, and so excited to talk to you. Um, I went to the um, endocrinologist today, and she did. And I'm not sure why I got this test, but she did the thyroid ultrasound. They've been looking at my thyroid, and the the test showed a multinodular goiter. Well, she called it a nodule, and it was 1.4 centimeters, she said. And she said she wanted to biopsy it, and um, I just... You know, I said, let's just wait a minute. You know, um, I'm not, you know, I don't want to run into something. I want to research it. And I went to the mm, the book that I had handy, the menopause years, and there is a section on thyroid, which is excellent. But I didn't say anything about the nodules. And I don't know the purpose of the nodules, and I don't know what they are. Um, so I need to do more research and I just would um, advice about this and how do they know that they want to biopsy it? Is it because of the size? Um, yeah. They might want to biopsy any nodule mm-hmm. because ideally there aren't any in your thyroid. So the fact that there's one there at all is problematic. Oh. And they can't tell if it's just a benign growth, which is quite likely, or if it's cancer. If it's cancer and you wind up dying, your family could sue them for not having biopsied it. Yeah, right. So they pretty much have to at least urge you to have it biopsied. What I would want to know is what percentage of thyroid nodules are cancerous? Are we talking 50-50? Are we talking 1% are cancerous? That would make a difference to me. 
Yes. What are the consequences of the biopsy? Yes. Are there, are there physical consequences? Are there consequences that maybe you wouldn't think to ask about now, but that you could say, what could happen that I and that I don't know anything about, but that you do? In general, you could be asked to undergo full anesthesia in order for them to do the biopsy. She said just like a lidocaine or something. She said just something Okay, good. So they can do it with a local. Excellent. Local. Yeah. Excellent, excellent. Which means that they'll just use a needle to aspirate something from the nodule. Is the nodule palpable? Can you feel it? No. Mm Mm-hmm. What's your sense of it? Oh, my sense is that, uh, you know, uh, I think it's fine. But I think when you go taking these tests, you sometimes find things that, you know, when you put yourself under that kind of microscope, something's going to come up mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. that could have been just fine without mm-hmm. you digging around in there and, Trying to do things. Exactly. So if you feel mm-hmm. safe and confident in not doing a biopsy now, an easy way to say no is to say, I'd like to do a biopsy if the nodule grows or and set a time in the future, like six months in the future. Perhaps we can reopen this discussion. Right. That way, the people that you're asking for help from understand that you're not slamming the door in their faces. Right. You want to do some watchful waiting. And they understand that concept. Well, it's hard for them to understand that, but... Because they they have to say, you know, they have to say, we have to buy up to this. Exactly. They have to say that. Yeah. And they're not um, just guarding themselves and they can't say watchful waiting. But I'm going to say. Well, that's why I'm saying to you, yeah. better not to say, I'm not doing the biopsy, but to say, I'm not doing it now. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's very politically correct. Which is easier for them to go along with, right? Yes, of course. Yes. So, in other words, nodules aren't supposed to be there because she said there was some real small, this nodule was on the left side and there were some little tiny ones on the right side, like maybe two on the right side. So, they're not supposed to be there. In general, they're not supposed to be there. No. Yeah. And, yeah. Okay, but... But they're not supposed to be there in the same way 
that you're not supposed to have warts, shall we say. Right. And as you say, you know, do I really want to go messing around with this? I would say that my experience has been that people who have something malignant in their body know it. Yeah, good word. So they yeah. saw these nodules with what kind of scan? It was a thyroid ultrasound. A thyroid ultrasound. So one of the things you can do is to schedule another thyroid ultrasound in six months or nine months or whatever, right? Right. When I was working with the wonderful doctor at Memorial Sloan Kettering, I, you know, I said, let's do a biopsy every six months. I'm going to come, I'm willing to come back here and be biopsied, right? I'm not, you know, just saying, no, I'm refusing your treatment. I'm saying, I want to engage in some other treatments and let's watch me. Let's see what happens. If things get worse, we can always act. Let's figure out how to use. Yes. And again, that that gives them a bearing. Okay, they can make an appointment. You have an appointment. You'll be back there in six months. There'll be another ultrasound. If it's grown, you'll all be alerted to the fact it's grown. But yeah. perhaps you will visualize it getting smaller, and that will happen. Yes. Oh, that's wonderful. Do you think um, acupuncture can be of any help in this situation? I don't know enough about acupuncture to say. I know that the most proven benefits of acupuncture are pain relief. Oh, yes. Okay. Okay. And um, And, and since we don't even really know what has made these nodules grow in your thyroid or anybody's thyroid, nor do I think that we would even know about those except for the modern diagnostics that we have. Yes, yes. So it just doesn't, to me, it doesn't seem like a mesh with acupuncture. Yeah, right, right. I hear you. Which isn't to say that a really competent acupuncturist couldn't treat you. Yes. Because I'm sure that they would have a different way of describing it and therefore a different way of treating it. Yes. Uh, I do take, of course, the, I've really been good about this, the the five rotation nourishing herbal infusions. And would you, yay. And um, I know you mentioned Ryan Drum in your book, in the, in the book. Um, Mm -hmm. And, and he said, uh, in the book, he said, he said, complete rest <laughs> is very good for the thyroid. Um, but do you, is there something else that you think I could do for my nodules? Yes. Visualize a relationship with them that works 
for you and the nodules to be allies. Yes. I start always from the belief that whatever is going on in our body is right. So these nodules are not necessarily wrong. Let's let them be right. But what does that mean that they're right? Let's ask them. Let's find out from them what they're doing, what they would like. And then how can you relate to that in a way that works for you? I will always remember Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's story about the Quaker that she was explaining about a visualization. He was to visualize that his body was an army that was killing the cancer. And he said, Elizabeth, I'm a Quaker. I can't do that. I can't visualize an army killing my cancer. And she looked at him and she said, well, then you'll just have to come up with an image. And she says the next time she saw him, he said, all right, Elizabeth, I got it. I ha- I have a group of wonderful people who are going to the cancer and who are hugging it and carrying little bits of it away. And that was his visualization. He didn't want to send an army to kill it. He wanted to send an army of huggers to carry it away. What works for you and these nodules? Yes. Thank you. Um, I just pulled out abundantly well. And do you think uh, I was looking for visualization in abundantly well? There are a lot of visualizations, but the visualization that you want here is, as we were talking about just before, to sink into a quiet and contemplative or meditative state where nothing has to happen and invite your thyroid nodules to communicate with you and see what you get. Okay. Okay. Wonderful. All righty. Green blessings, Carol. Call back again soon. Oh, thank you so much. I love you. Love you too. Good night. All right, and there are three callers in the queue with their hands raised from the 970. You are live with Susan from the 970. Hello, 970. All right, we'll come back to you, and we'll go right to the 714. From the 714, you are live with Susan. Hello, Susan. Hi. I um, I know other people are waiting and just wanted to ask uh, about dandelion in our, in our lawn that I haven't mowed for the last five weeks. I'm trying to let them grow so I can... Um, I guess harvest. I, I live in Southern California, so I um, I'm, but I'm not sure if they are. I mean, the ones that have the flowers, I know for sure. But there are other ones that don't have flowers, and the leaves look like them, but they kind of don't. What other plants um, look like dandelion? Chicory. Chicory. Chicory leaves so look I, exactly like dandelion. As a matter of fact, this weekend. At class, we were looking at 
we were walking along the road, and I said, chicory, chicory, chicory. And one of the students said, no, dandelion. And I said, pick one of those leaves, and we'll go over here to where there's dandelion. And you can see that they look alike, but if you turn them over, the dandelion often is reddish on the back, and it's very, very smooth, whereas the chicory is not reddish and can be rougher or hairier. They're used almost exactly the same, so it's no big deal if you confuse them, right? So I can... um so if it's chicory leaves, um, as a matter of fact, most of the time when you go out to buy dandelion leaves, they're usually chicory leaves. Usually chick, it's chicory that's sold as dandelion because chicory is a lot easier to grow. Okay. Are they, yeah, these, they don't look anything like the ones I buy from grocery store. They're much shorter. They're not long. Exactly. The chicory makes a much longer leaf. I see. And um, I understand that from listening to you, it's not time to get the root out. That's more in the fall or kind of getting close? The wonderful um, thing about dandelion is that dandelion is willing to give you good medicine from any part at any day of the year. Okay. Now, will the root tincture that you make be different in November than it is now? Yeah, definitely. But that doesn't mean it isn't good medicine. Okay. The flowers that you're seeing, the dandelion had to use energy and resources to make. It's worth it for the dandelion because those flowers will make seeds and the next generation of dandelion will come from them. But it means that the root is a little depleted while the plant's flowering. It'll still make good medicine, but if you wait until after the plant is done flowering, then all the energy goes, as they say, down into the root. And especially as it gets colder and colder, Perennial plants like dandelion put more and more protection into their root. And those protections are what we think of as medicines. So they're compounds that are not good for small burrowing things that might eat the dandelion root. But they can be good medicine for us. And we get more of them the colder it is. Okay. So there's time. There's still like in October, November, by November. Lots of time. I often dig roots in the beginning of December, depending on where you are and when the ground freezes. Okay. You, of course, can't keep on digging roots once the ground is frozen and once there's snow okay. cover. It's a kind of herbalist roulette with the weather, isn't it? I um waiting, waiting, waiting to dig the roots and then oops it snows. <laughs> we were also talking in our because we had a roots and seeds workshop this weekend and I was talking we put out to look at the my little patch of deep woodland perennial plants whose roots are using and where the students are looking at it and going, um, there's just like like leaves from the trees here. I'm like, 
right. The point is that if you want to harvest the perennial roots of these deep forest plants, you have to go there earlier in the year and mark them somehow because by the time it's cold enough to dig the roots, there'll be no top growth of any kind. And you won't know where those roots are. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. So this is a good time to be thinking about what am I going to dig? Where am I going to dig it? How much am I going to make? What am I going to make? So, you know, like kind of getting things in order in your head, right? So that when it's time to do it, you're prepared. Okay. Great. All right. Thanks. Uh, can I ask you um, what – I just had a surgery, um, a bladder cancer. They removed a tumor the second time. And for healing, I've been using um, linden and um, infusion and also um, marshmallow root. Should Wonderful. I also – should I also use um, uva ursi for like more more of a preventive for infection? Uva ursi isn't preventative. It's very astringent, mm-hmm. and it can break up bacterial groups, but it's not really preventative. Um, corn silk is the herb that I like for the bladder. Very, very gentle, very soothing, and restorative. Infusion or tincture? The infusion, it seems, the tea I made is like very bitter. Corn silk? Yeah. What did the corn silk look like? Um... Yeah, I bought it. it it's brown. Mm-hmm. How much corn soap did you use in the tea? Um, just a teaspoon. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Well, I don't know exactly what to say. I can only say that my experience with corn soap is from the corn soap that we collect ourselves. And I dry it and then put it in bundles of six ears worth of corn silk. And that's what I use in my quart jar. It's not an ounce. But although there is some brown part, there's not very much. Most of it is green and golden. So Maybe you just want to buy a few ears of corn on the cob and harvest your own corn silk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I'll do. Yeah, this one is very brown. Yeah. Okay. All right. Thank I'm going to wish you green much. blessings and see if I can answer the last two people's questions green. before we talk to Chris Omni. Uh, thank you. Green blessings. Good night. Green blessings. Good night. All right, and we have one hand that is uh, raised at this time in the queue from the 410. You are live with Susan from the 410. Good evening, Susan. How are you? I am really enjoying the 
beautiful autumn days that we're having. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. Yeah, we had a pretty day here today, too. Um, I won't keep your time too long. My question is um, I have developed inflammation of the stomach lining. I guess the technical word is gastritis. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so I have some burning, some light nausea, excessive burn, burning. I guess the worst part of it is it causes me to feel like I'm short of breath some as well. Uh, my oxygen level is fine. And I've been told that I have somewhat of a little bit of a blockage in the pancreatic deck, duct. And in that area, there's just bacteria, viral, fungal type situation causing this. So... Um, I'm currently on the GAPS diet for the most part, and I've taken a lot of homeopathy for this. And I think that's why I'm not much more, not thicker than I am. But the breathing part is is very distressful when it gets that way. Tell me, calls, tell me again what kind of diet you're using. GAPS diet, G-A-P-S, gut and psychology or gut and physiology by Natasha Camel McBride. Tell me more about it, please. Um, it's basically healing for the gut, and it's based off a lot of um, uh, no grains, no starches, um, a lot of probiotic foods, uh, of course, good meats, good veggies cooked well, meat stock, that sort of thing. And so that's mostly my diet. And so I'm not understanding how the stomach is adversely affected by grain. I, I'm not saying it is. I, I don't know. I'm just telling you I, I don't know. Um, okay. That's kind of a leaky gut um, diet, let's put it that way. Because I right. have some other health issues. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so I was just wondering if there were any um, so gastritis. gastritis, as you say. Is usually a is usually limited to the stomach. Yes. It sounds like there might be a slight amount of pancreatic involvement. So as the stomach goes into the area where the pancreas and the gallbladder and the liver all are busy, that there might be some holding or some tension there. Yes. The It is rare that that then leads on in to the gut. It's often really, really contained right at the stomach, right at the very beginning there. And the stomach is supposed to be producing acid. Mm -hmm. So we have to ask ourselves if there are any herbs that can help moderate that acid production so that it's just right and not irritating. And the herb we were just talking about is the one that does that, and that's dandelion. Okay. All right. Are you recommending it in a tincture? I don't recommend anything. I'm sharing information with you. I'm I'm sorry. Are you sharing information with a tincture? (laughs) You can decide for yourself. Yes, of course. If you want to use dandelion, excuse me. <coughs> and 
what the best way for you to use it is. Are there dandelions in your yard? Do you want to go out and harvest the leaves and cook them up? Do you want to dig the root and make your own tincture? Do you want to make a vinegar? And dandelions are a very generous herb. Any part of the plant harvested any day of the year and prepared in any way makes good medicine. So what works for you and what do you like? The difficulty with going out and buying dandelion root tincture is that most of the time it's made from dried roots, which have far less efficacy than the fresh roots. And it's made with um, very strong alcohol, which actually makes it really harsh on your liver, and we don't need that. So making your own tincture with 100-proof vodka makes it much, much easier on your liver. I also know that uh, Red Moon Herbs... um, it uses fresh plants, but not um, vodka. They use the harsh, high-proof alcohol. And Catskill Mountain Herbals uses 100-proof vodka as well as fresh plants. Okay. Yes, I've bought from Catskill before. That's good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So the other really strong image that I'm getting is some kind of warm pack on your solar plexus. You know where your solar plexus is, right? It's where the ribs come together just at the end of the sternum. Kind of right where your stomach is, right? Yes. And so traditionally, what might be done would be a castor oil pack, but even just a warm towel laid on that area you I believe indicated that you felt that there was some blockage there and the warmth yeah. should, should help mm-hmm. ease that okay I've done three castor oil packs this week I can continue to do that good Okay. The herbs that I like whenever there's an itis are herbs that are soothing and slippery. One of my favorite soothing, slippery herbs for anything in the digestive system is slippery yum. Okay. And marshmallow root is also a wonderful herb. Yeah, I saw that. So is that the one you just pour warm water over and let it sit, or do you actually use boiling water? Could you answer? Um, With marshmallow root, what I like to do is weigh out an ounce, put it in a quart jar, fill uh-huh. this up with boiling water, boiling and extract water. minerals and other nutrients. Then I drain that liquid off, which I drink, and refill the jar with the same root in it with cold water and put it in the fridge. Okay. That will that now extract mucilage. And you can even mm-hmm. do that again. Okay. Once you use up that second quart, just put more cold water in there. Each time, of course, you're going to have to up the amount that you take to get the same effect because it'll be less and less stuff yes. in it. Yes. Can I drink a quart of that a day, do you think? Or um, would that be appropriate in this situation? Don't force yourself to do it, but if you want to, you can. Most of the time, 
unless we're in a very severe environment, the fluid need of the body is about a quart of liquid a day. Okay. Anything more than that will usually disturb the electrolyte balance and start leaching minerals out of the bones. Mm, okay. We don't want that. <laughs> so what I suggest to people is if you want like a, some hot beverage in the morning, you like coffee in the morning, you like tea in the morning, you want to start your day that way, you know, keep to that. Both coffee and tea are good herbs, right? Then you have a quart of nourishing herbal infusion to drink during the day. And if then you want like a cup of hot chocolate in the evening or you have a cup of tea with your friend, you've, you've gotten plenty of liquid, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. So then a whole other quart of marshmallow, you'd have to be pushing yourself to do that or not drinking your nourishing herbal infusion. So what I usually yes. do in those situations is I drink my nourishing herbal infusions and then I have like a cup of the other infusion and maybe if I want it, you know, really keep it in my body, I'll just pour out that cup full and keep it in the refrigerator or with me if I'm at work and just sip it. So every half hour mm-hmm. or so I'm just taking a sip. Okay. Wonderful. Yeah, that way I and keep getting the benefit without having to drink too much. Yeah, I can see that. So then and, I would and we can't, to- can't end this conversation without talking at, at least a tiny bit about what's eating you. <laughs> yeah, I had a lot eating me, but I have worked very hard on that. <laughs> Yay, you, all right. <laughs> yeah, I, I get it. And <laughs> now this is what I'm left with, so I'm putting it all back together. <laughs> putting it back together again, right. Well, if if it's not eating you anymore, then, then this actually is well on its way gone. The marshmallow yeah, good. and your visualization and your good attitude are just going to Get rid of all the rest of this now that now that we've dealt with the crocodiles. Yeah, well, that's for sure. Well, I really appreciate your consideration and your help with us this tonight. Um, um, thank you so much. I will put this into action ASAP. Thank you. Green blessings. Good night. Take care. Bye-bye. You too. All right. And... I don't see any hands raised at this time, but our guest is with us in the queue. Well, let's say hello to Chris Omni then. Now, come back. Nope, that's not where you were. Nope, that's not it either. Oh, Chris Omni has disappeared. Um, dum, 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 dum. All right, we're going to do this. And we're going to do that, and we're going to do that, and we're going to do this, and then, is that what we want? Okay, let's do, thank you for waiting, I'm sorry, I had it right here, but then there was something else we had to do, and... It went away. Oh, um, Chris went away. Come back, Chris. All right, here we go. Yes. There. And here's Chris Omni, an echo spiritualist, two-time TEDx speaker, three 
time, first place three-minute thesis winner, black women's health researcher, published author, documentary filmmaker, international presenter, community mobilizer, and former health motivation columnist. Chris Onney holds a bachelor's degree in human services and two master's degrees, one in public health and one in liberal arts. Chris is right now a doctoral candidate at Florida State University, where she is researching black joy in green spaces through the methodologies of autoethnography, narrative inquiry, photo elicitation, and nomadic inquiry. Most recently, Chris's TEDx talk, Granny's Garden, How to Grow Black Joy, featured the first public poetic theorizing of black joy. Chris deeply values the unapologetic use of her voice and agency to speak life, love, and light to all people with a particular emphasis on black people. She views her body as a vessel that has not only delivered life, but receives life in the form of lessons and abilities from the ancestors. As others have stated, Chris Omni is a whole vibe. Welcome to the show, Chris. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I am so thrilled to um, be speaking with somebody who talks about growing black joy. (laughs) Yes, that would be me, a a black joy scholar, activist, and artist. Are there particular plants that grow black joy, or is it more of a mindset? Um, In terms of particular plants, For my healing garden, I love rescues. And I would say over 90% of the plants that are in my healing garden, I have found on the side of the road. Somebody discarded them, put it in a trash pile, or even at a store, put it on one of those racks that said, you know, help yourself. So it's really about just pouring love into these spaces and receiving the love in return. All right, love and joy. This weekend when I was teaching about roots and seeds, we were talking about amaranth and lamb's quarter, and both the greens and the seeds of amaranth and lamb's quarter, and how they have revitalized some indigenous communities who've reclaimed these foods as part of their diet. So I was wondering if there was more plants like that that you were focusing on. Oh, oh, I see what you mean by that question. No, I don't look at the nutritional aspect of my plants. I look at the healing aspect of the rescuing. And like I said, it's it's the journey of finding and pouring love into them. And I'm I'm not as versed on the nutrition piece of it. So the joy is about being present in nature and being there and being in a garden not so much focus on a goal of making a particular thing grow, but enjoying being there. It is that, and also if any of your listeners have um, clicked on the TED Talk, this is going to be very familiar, but to to repeat what I said in the TED Talk, that black joy is a statement, black joy is a stride, black joy is permission Black joy is pride. Black joy is a form of resistance, and black joy is a form of rest. 
Black joy is anything and everything you need it to be because truly black joy is the best. And when I put that poetic theorization in the context of green spaces, the, the statement that I've been making about these rescues is truly about watching something that somebody else, i.e. society, has discarded and being able to nurture it to its fullest potential and to see that life that has already been there all along. So that is representative of the statement. For it to be a stride, a stride is a movement. And through my artistic practices, I focus on slow movement. That is so, and I think that maybe you could relate to this, that when you are growing, it is a slow process. There's no way that you could just plant a seed and expect it to to magically appear as a plant or a flower the next day. So my, voice, my voice teacher sometimes uses that uh, image. He says to me, excuse me, you're tearing the flower open instead of letting it bloom. Oh, yes, yes. Right. Patience, patience. <laughs> yes, and, and that's the stride. That's the stride. So every part of my theorization can really be felt and embodied in these green spaces. Do you find people saying to you, well, that's all well and good if you have a green space, but I don't? Now, you said that's well and good if you have a green space. Are you referring I, I, to I ask you if people are, are saying that to you. Well, I talk, I, don't know I talk to people about weeds and using weeds, and they sometimes say, well, that might be fine if you have a garden, but I don't have a garden. And I say, well, weeds grow in cities too. Okay, okay, I see what you mean by that. Because when you said green space, I, I just instantly went to how many people talk to me about not having a green thumb. Because for me, there's a difference between having a green thumb and growing with a green heart. But to use your language of having a green space, that can happen in your home. That can happen on a porch. That can happen in your kitchen. That can happen in your bedroom. If you have a space, then you can create a green space and a green corner, and it doesn't take much. I totally agree. Sounds wonderful. I have seen some great little herb gardens on fire escapes. Right. Right, or even like in windows, window sills and kitchens, growing herbs that way. It's a matter of how creative can you be with your space, and are you willing to share that space with a, a living green spirit? What happens then? What happens, what happens? when you share your space? Hmm. You learn how to cohabitate. You learn lessons from Mother Earth, and you think about the lessons of growing and how they can be applied to your own life. So working on this doctorate, I look at green spaces as um, spaces of teaching and learning. So there is this pedagogical aspect to growing. When you sit down and really think about the classroom in the traditional sense with the four walls and the desk and the teacher in the front of the room, 
you can have that same experience by growing something, that that plant can be your teacher, that you can learn about weather patterns, you can learn about soil patterns, you can learn how the sun impacts the growth or the, the decline because it might get too much sun. But there are so many metaphors that are associated with growing that it literally becomes a classroom. Someone just told me that he realized he had made a mistake. He had heard about nettle rot, and then nettle rot was a great plant fertilizer. And so he put it on his plants every day. And, of course, they got moldy. <laughs> okay. There isn't such thing as too much of a good thing. The garden will very quickly show you that there is very quickly too much of a good thing. As a matter of fact, when I'm teaching someone to water the plants in the pots, I say they will survive being underwatered far better than they will survive being overwatered. Completely. Completely agree with that. That's one of the reasons why I've been connected recently to my spirit plant. And I I have a spirit animal, and now I have a spirit plant, which is the used to be called the mother-in-law of tongue, but they call it by the name the snake plant. What I love about the spiritual aspect of this snake plant is what you just said, that it can thrive in spaces that are dark. It can thrive in spaces that are light. It can thrive off of neglect. So the underwatering can still provide life. And it it doesn't take a lot of effort to grow um, a snake plant. And that's my new spirit plant. It is a plant that covers an island near where my daughter lives in Costa Rica. And you can only walk to this island at low tide. And this is the island where they bury their dead, and it is covered in snake plant. Oh, wow. Wow. I need to know more about that location. I might be there in May. Okay. It's the Nicoya Peninsula. Thank you. Thank you. And you said it's covered in snake plants. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Hermit crabs and snake plant and Cairns, you know, places where people's bodies are, is what's on that island. And you walk over, it's a fair walk, you know, through a pretty shallow water. But you better get back before that water gets deep because it gets too deep to walk through. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I, I have this visual. I have this visual of how the ancestors, and this connects to the, the eco-spirituality of growing, but how the ancestors are are buried and those spirits are then transplanted literally into yes. those plants. Yes. So being able to grow in community with someone from the other side would would be so magnificent to be able to share that moment. And and I don't know if they are allowed to to bring those snake plants into their homes in Costa Rica. But just to be there uh, among among those that have transitioned would yes. be an honor. Yeah, yeah. It is, it is an absolutely amazing place to be and to feel 
all of the flow of the the ocean there and the the I mean, there are millions of hermit crabs, right? You sit and you think it's a quiet beach, and then if you sit there quietly, suddenly the whole beach comes alive, and every single shell on the beach gets up and starts walking. (laughs) I can see it. I can so see that. (laughs) And you think, am I in an Alfred Hitchcock movie, or is this really happening? (laughs) This is happening. It's really happening. So yes. let me ask you: Do you know my good friend, the uh, the uh, uh, echo sexualist Annie Sprinkle? No, tell me more. Oh, you and Annie Sprinkle are going to create so much yumminess together when the two of you get together. Um, one of my one of my favorite um, stickers from Annie says, "Composting makes me hot." <laughs> so, an an echo sexualist. Oh, please put us in contact with one another. Yes, because ab- my absolutely. my my brother always makes fun of me, <laughs> and I, he might even be on this call tonight. My my brother Leonard Green will laugh at me and my love affair for trees. <laughs> the way he, he presents my words back to me is like, oh, they're so tall and they're so wide and the branches are so long. <laughs> so I did not know that there was a such thing as an echo-sexualist. So maybe, maybe there are a whole lot of them. She, she has a whole following all over the world. Yeah, yeah, we need yeah. to get together. We can do some, we can do some things because even, even in my research, I, I will admit that I got into some trouble on a, a co-ed camping trip uh, when I said that most trees are much better lovers than most men. Ooh, ooh, yeah, you would get in trouble for that one. <laughs> well, and mostly I got in trouble because all the women agreed with me. Mm, mm, interesting. <laughs> but I, I like the way this ties into, like, grounding and earthing. Part of my workshop series, if you go to MotherEarthAcademy.me, is an, an earthing workshop where I invite people to, like, literally be present with Mother Earth in an intimate fashion where we are removing our shoes digging our toes into the soil and and like really planting ourselves in that space. So what I see in that connection of not just eco-sexuality and sensuality but eco-intimacy being one with mother earth in that connect, in that form of connection. To be instead of do. Mm. You must have been reading some of my dissertation. <laughs> I was listening to Frank Sinatra. Doopy dooby 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 doo. Oh. <laughs> yes. Because I I literally wrote that probably a couple weeks ago that we are human beings, but we don't focus on the be. We are so busy focused on the doing that we forget to live in the present moment. We forget to hit pause. We forget to have a, a moment of slowness. The lessons that we learn from growing that we could apply to, like, just everyday life 
is a slow journey of development. But when we are constantly on the go as a human doing rather than a human being, we forget that and we miss out on that opportunity. A wise person once said, joy is like a butterfly. You can't ever catch it, but if you sit still, it will come and light on you. Mm. Received. Received. I'm curious to ask, um, how do you view, and I know this is you supposed to interview me, but how do you see joy versus happiness? How do you receive those two words? Joy is something that you suddenly realize you're experiencing, whereas happiness usually you think is something you have to get. Mm. We are on the same page. We're on the same page. When people ask me about black joy and I go beyond the theorization with those six poetic pillars, I have to explain to them that joy happens within that happiness happens to you. So there's a, for me, at least in my research and my lived experience, that there's a difference between the two because your happiness can fade. (laughs) There are plenty of people that walk around in this world with a smile on their face and they appear to be happy. But joy is that thing that happens within that allows you to overcome and, and and deal with those moments when they present themselves. Thank you for being on the same page with me with that definition. Yes, I feel a real kinship with the way that we are inviting people onto the playground. Mm. And I am definitely a big kid. <laughs> I... I tell my daughters, like, I'm the baby. I tell my brother the same thing. I'm the baby. And even though I am almost 48 years old, I still have the spirit of a, a, of a kid because we should never stop playing. And the day that I stop playing is the day that I stop living. To play, to be curious, to mm. delight, to be in awe. These are the nutrients that build joy. Mm, Accurate. Absolutely accurate. What inspired you to create total joy? Tuesdays, and I'm going to get it wrong, Slow Love Sundays? Well, well, kind of. (laughs) (laughs) You you mix the words up a little bit, but they have some some pretty similar meanings. And before I tell you what the real real words are, I like Slow Love Sunday. That's not (laughs) it, but I'm (laughs) going to have to plant that seed. You're like, yes, I need some slow love Sunday. So if my brother is listening, we need we need to make a shea butter line called Slow Love Sunday. There you um, go. 
But <laughs> the reason why I decided to create that was to build off of the Shea Butter that we are launching through Shea Creations. And my brother has an extensive, extensive line of Shea Butters, and we decided to join forces because he knows my, my love of nature and trees, of course, specifically, and pulling from the shade tree and, and looking at how, how can we bring a product to the concept of joy. And I released a documentary in early 2021 that was entitled TJ Collections, which was true joy, but it was also in honor of my dad, Thomas James. So our first release, was under my line was true joy and looking at the ability to slow down looking at the invitation to be present with our bodies this created an opportunity to develop an event where we invite people to to do both true joy on Tuesdays where we slow down Um, I give them a word of inspiration that came from the healing garden and literally hold space for healing and self-restoration and then invite them to turn cameras off because this is a virtual experience. But turn your cameras off and I will walk you through the journey of putting that shea butter on in a slow and loving, so there's your slow love, in a slow loving fashion that we are showing love to ourselves, no matter who that may be, we we deserve that self-love. So True Joy is one of the products, and the other product is, and I love it, I love it. Wait for it. Wait for it. Can you think about it? Self-love. Self-love. Yes, yes. So we have True Joy and we have Self-love. And the difference between the two events and experiences, it's similar in time. It's about 90 minutes. It's similar in design that you will get a word of wisdom. I will create and hold space for healing and self-restoration and that you will also be able to turn your cameras off and love up on yourself with the shea butter. But the difference between the two is that Self-Love Sunday is for anybody, absolutely anybody can join that experience, but we are limiting that to only 12 people. So any, anybody, any demographic. With True Joy Tuesday, it helps to support my mission of black joy. I have had several non-black people approach me and love what I'm doing and ask how to support black joy when they're not black. How can they um, support the mission? How can they contribute to the research? What What can they do to show their support of this movement? So I just decided to create another event that would be targeted specifically to black people and give them the same experience that we can have this kinship space, this sacred space, where we are doing the same things that we would do in Self-Love Sunday. So that's where, they came, that's where the two, two events came about. 
Um, they tie into the shea butter lines, and it's really inviting people to love up on themselves. Well, I can't think of anything better for most of us to do. Yes. And like, and cultivate what, what joy. Did you, what did you do? And well, you, I, I've been writing a, a new course, and the lesson I'm going to write tonight is called Get Over Yourself and Get Under Yourself. Mm. Okay. Right, because most people... Don't go, don't go out and do what they need to do because I don't know enough. I did the whole list of excuses, right? Right. And really, that's a, that kind of put down is really egotism. Mm. It's really, you know, like saying that you have to be some perfect being, right? You just went out and did this TED Talk. Because you were inspired to do it, not because you thought you were the best person ever in the whole universe. Right. Right. Right? Get over yourself. You don't have to be the best person. You just do it. And that means you have to get under yourself. You have to support yourself. You have to stop cutting yourself down at every opportunity. Mm Mm-hmm. I know you see a lot of that. that. Yes. In order to do that, you have to learn how to love yourself. You have to be able to be on that airplane and literally take what the flight attendant said to heart. In case of an emergency, this mask will drop down, and your responsibility is to put it on you first. It's so hard for so many women to feel entitled. It is. Entitled to take any time for themselves. It is. And I attended a, I attended a yoga class, a virtual yoga class for seniors, which <clears throat> was defined as anyone over 45, a hump, led by a wonderful black woman. And she ended every class with this mantra, which we were to repeat after her. And I love her for it. I am enough. Mm-hmm. I do enough. I give enough. Yes, yes. And to bring the academic component into this discussion, this this narrative of the strong black woman phenomena is deeply embedded into the black identity where it becomes and has become a multi-generational narrative. It's connected to a concept called ethics of care. And within this concept, it's literally an ethical theory that, that assigns value to helping others almost at the expense of helping oneself. And throughout history, I mean, we're looking at hundreds of years that there has been black women caring for everybody in this nation but themselves. So one of the other yes, reasons indeed. why I love I love True Joy Tuesdays is that I'm giving black women that moment. I'm creating that space where it's okay to say no to the demands of the day until we say yes to the demands of ourselves. 
it is okay to remove the metaphorical cape associated with being the strong black woman. It is okay to take it back to church to say, not today, Satan. <laughs> it's okay to say, this is about me, and to tie it into what you said, I am enough. I am enough. I do enough. And I give enough. What a great yeah. mantra for every woman to take to heart and to know that taking time for self-love and for true joy is going to manifest out into every relationship. Every person you care about and that you love will feel more of your love when You've first loved yes. yourself. Yes, yes. Um, and I love the way you tied that in, and I guess you really were doing your research on me because one of my papers was called Learning How to Fly in the Academy. And FLY was an acronym that stood for First Love Yourself. So imagine pulling the concept of learning how to fly, the idea, the physical um, process of loving your body inch by inch and, and saying, I love you toes, I love you feet, I love you calf. Giving gratitude, and, and I'm pausing for a moment because I'm being transported to one day when I was walking about a month ago, that I got into this meditative space where every step that I took became a step of gratitude that that allowed me to say thank you toes for your connection to my feet that would allow me to move forward to my destination. Thank you ankles for allowing my feet to move back and forth in a fluid motion so that I can make it to my destination. Thank you calves. And I literally worked my way up with my words of showing gratitude to my body. But now we have a product that we can apply in the space of gratitude and to have the conversation. This, this becomes that teachable moment of, of how do we show ourselves love? Because that right. comes up too. That right. comes up too. It's like, yeah, I know I, I need to love myself more, but how do I do that? How do well, I come do on, that? Baby. Oh. Well, come on, baby. Love Sunday and Total Joy Tuesday. Yeah. And, you yeah. know, I could just go on talking to you forever. But it's a blog talk show, and they slam the door on us. So okay. I want to be sure that you share again how women can get in touch with you now that they want to come to Self Love Sunday and Total Joy Tuesday. All you have to do is go to MotherEarthAcademy.me. Click on Special Events, and you will see where you can sign up. And I would love to have you there and then bring your, your echoes, sexualist or whatever her title was. Echosexualist Annie me. Sprinkle and her lover Beth. And the woman, the, the black woman who led the yoga classes, Miriam Phelps. She's yes, still, she she leads quite a few yoga classes online. She's wonderful if you're looking for an online yoga class. Yes. Uh, even if you're yes, not an old either. lady, she le- leads other classes too. There was a special event sponsored by AARP, which was free. It was really, really beautiful gift. So Mother Earth academy.me Chris, I envision that we are reweaving 
the healing cloak of the ancients. And I want to thank you for the beautiful threads and the designs that you are helping us see in this cloak. It's like there's a a texture that you bring to it that raises the awareness of things that we have felt but have perhaps not been willing to to claim the joy and the love of. So thank you so much for all that you are doing, reweaving the healing cloak of the ancients, all of us together. And Sarah Ellen, thank you for helping me once again restore herbal medicine to its rightful place as people's medicine. And thank you, listeners, for doing the same thing. We're going to, Chris Omni, Susan Weed, and Sarah Ellen, wish you true joy and lots of self-love. Green blessings and good night, everybody. Good night, love.